0: People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, on them light shines. Christ Church, we are reopened. Let's stand together and show forth our praise to Almighty God with our opening hymn of praise. Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. We pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Though we are living in difficult days, we have so much to be thankful for. Let us sing our praises to Almighty God now with our song of praise. Before our collect for this Trinity Sunday, let me begin with a word of prayer from our prayer book, a prayer for times of division. We pray together, O God, you made us in your own image, and you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And our it for this Trinity Sunday. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given to us your servants grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign one God forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to be seated for the proclamation of God's word.
1: A reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Our world desperately needs to hear good news. And we can hear some right now. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountain, and when his disciples came to him, he sat down and opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for your award is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you the gospel of the lord praise to you lord christ let us pray heavenly father we believe that you inspired matthew to record these words and we believe these words have power because they're inspired by the holy spirit and so come holy spirit open these words upon your church this morning that we may be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Our world desperately needs to hear good news. Desperately needs to hear good news. Our world's hearing all kinds of news lately very little of it good. We hear slogans. We hear all kinds of news and opinions and online postings. But friends, we, the church of Jesus Christ, we know the good news that the world desperately needs to hear. The question is, will they be hearing it from us? We know the news that the world needs, the good news that the world needs, but will they hear it from us? It is our reopening, and my prayer is that this moment of reopening is not just a reopening of the sanctuary, as glorious as that is. And it is wonderful, I'll tell you, to stand up here and preach and see y'all in the pews even with masks on. And I know who are Aggies in the room, and I know the rest. I mean, we get to self-express with our masks, right? It's great. It's, it's, it's great to be together, even with these restrictions. But as we reopen, my concern has been all the way through that this would not just be a moment that would pass us by, and we'd say, ah, oh, the sanctuary's reopened. But let this be a moment of reopening our mouths with the gospel Let this be a reopening of our hearts for the world, a reopening of everything within us for the sake of mission. Let this be a true reopening. I can't tell you the joy it was for me to see that sign on the corner when we put it up. June 7th, reopening. It was just amazing to drive by and see that. I I had wondered if we'd do something kind of Funny, You know, my jokes don't always land, so I thought, let's not put it in print on a sign because I'd seen some interesting reopening signage that I thought might be, you know, kind of fun to put on the corner. Things like, join us Sunday, we have Jesus and toilet paper. (laughs) Or maybe, uh, Jesus cleans the heart, we wipe the pews. Or the best one, I thought, was, we all weren't expecting giving up that much for Lent. But the point is, we're reopened. And will we let this reopening be a true reopening, not just of this room, but of our hearts in mission, reopening of our mouths with the good news the world desperately needs to hear? See, after three months of COVID-19, just when we were thinking it couldn't get any worse, it just got a lot worse, didn't it? Our world is in a desperate place needing to hear the good news from the church. Will they hear it from us? That's the question in the days before us. And that's why as we reopen, we're reopening our Bibles to Matthew 5 and we're starting with the Sermon on the Mount. What better place for the church to remember itself, for the church to remember the good news and be charged in the reopening of this mission and this gospel with our lips and in our lives as we move back out into the world. We need Ourselves to hear the gospel this morning if we're going to be able to give it to others, right? It's like those airline videos where they always say you got to put your own oxygen mask on before you can put on someone else's. You know, you've, you've got to hear the gospel first afresh before you can share the gospel with another. Didn't that opening, reopening video I showed, kind of felt like an airline video, didn't it? I mean, I, I did feel like as we were halfway through filming, I thought this is really going to look like some kind of American Airlines You know, welcome here. Note that there are four exits within this room. Uh, Pay attention to those and the rest. And there are inflatable uh, cushions under your seats. Um, There's not. Don't 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 look. Um, The point is, do we know the gospel? Do we know the good news? That word "euangelion" that we find in the Bible that means good news. We call it the gospel. But it's interesting in Matthew's account here, and Matthew again and again, as he talks about the good news, uses a phrase that we often forget within the church. And by forgetting this one word connected to the good news, I think we miss what this gospel is about. See, the word we miss is the word kingdom. In, in Luke, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we're told that Jesus was going out throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing diseases and casting out demons. The good news of the kingdom. And it's important we recognize that the good news that we proclaim is the good news of the kingdom because it is about not just a ticket to heaven. See, often if we... I lost my mic. Just let it go. Just, we'll just, just let it run or oh, stay there. I can't stay still. Okay, I'll try to stay still, or I'll yell if I walk. But yeah, the, um, but the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom is an important concept because it means it's more than just this, this concept we have often of salvation, right? We think of, you know, the good news is I get saved, I get to go to heaven when I die. And I'll tell you, a world that is in absolute chaos right now, just being told we've got a, a ticket to heaven is not enough. We need the good news of the kingdom Because the kingdom proclamation of Jesus says that yes, although this is about us being rescued from our sins and having a home in heaven, it's about a kingdom that's breaking into this world now. It's a kingdom that gets lived out more and more in our homes and in our lives and in our communities. Just to be clear, to get the word straight, because oftentimes we differentiate between, say, salvation, savior, saved, and kingdom, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, salvation the concept of salvation or savior is only talked about 45 times. Love, interestingly, is talked about 66 times, but the kingdom is talked about 140, 158 times, almost three times as often as we talk about salvation. In other words, if we're going to understand what the good news of the kingdom is, we need to understand that salvation is a kingdom breaking in this world for the sick, for the unemployed, for the oppressed. We need to hear about a kingdom that's breaking into our world now. And here's the good news of the kingdom. Let's our refresher course. If you're with me here in Matthew 5, as we begin with the beatitudes, here's what we're told about the kingdom as we start. That the kingdom is good news because it's about an invitation. That's the first thing we hear about the kingdom. It's wide open. It's a big, wide invitation. The gates are flung open wide. Come in to the kingdom. That's the first thing we're told. The second thing is not just invitation, but the kingdom is inbreaking. The kingdom is invading. The kingdom is moving more and more into this world. But not only is the kingdom an invitation and is the kingdom an inbreaking, but the good news of the kingdom is that it is ultimately incarnate in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. So first, church, the good news of the kingdom is that it's an invitation. We see that in the Beatitudes right away. Verse 3, if you're looking with me in the text, Jesus says this strange set of eight sayings, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, you may say, as I used to think when I would teach this, and again, there's some good sermons out there teaching this as virtues, that the Beatitudes are primarily about a state of being we should have. Like, I should be a peacemaker. Obviously, I should be more pure in heart. I should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness more than hungering and thirsting for a new show to binge watch on Netflix. Like, I really should hunger and thirst for the right things. These are good virtues. But we realize, though, if we look at it just as a set of virtues, that something's missing. Because look at the first few. How is being poor in spirit a virtue? I mean, poor in spirit means you're at the end of your rope. Poor in spirit means that you're, you know, spiritually, deeply, existentially depressed within your inner being. Is that the virtue we're supposed to live into? What about mourning? Some people will say, oh, well, it's mourning sin. You should mourn over a broken world. That's not what Jesus says. He just says, those who mourn are blessed. And what about the meek? What do you, what do you say to a strapping young man or woman who's, you know, signing up for the armed forces and, and, and wants to go out and serve their country with, with vigor and strength, and you're told, no, actually, the virtue is meekness? And You want to say, so is there no room in the world for strength? Is there no room in the kingdom for those who are strong? See, Jesus is not, I believe, and I'm basing this all on much brighter theologians than me, Dallas Willard being one of them, that Jesus is not suggesting that these are frames of mind or virtues that we are to try to grow into. Some of them, yes, peacemaking and the rest. But overall, what Jesus is really saying is he's complimenting people who are out of step with the world. The poor in spirit in a world... Full of next purchases will make you strong, right? A world of happy Instagram posts. To the poor in spirit who are totally out of step, he says, You're blessed. To those who mourn in a world that tries to deny death and push away pain, he says, You're blessed. To the meek in a world of bullies and self aggrandizing agendas, he says, You're blessed. To those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in a world full of corruptions and lies, Jesus says, You're blessed. You see how these people are out of step with the world? To the merciful in a world full of vengeance, Jesus says, You're blessed. To the pure in heart in a world full of debauchery and exploitation, He says, You're blessed. To the peacemakers in a world full of partisanship and division, He says, you're blessed. And to those who are persecuted for righteousness in a world that is all about pragmatism and saving my own skin, he says, you're blessed. See, Jesus, as John Stott says, is presenting us with the upside-down nature of Scripture. God elevates the lowly and brings down those high up. God calls the first last and the last first. And he calls the woes, those who are to be known the most pitied in our world blessed. The ones the most out of step in our world blessed. And the reason he's doing this as he begins his sermon is to say this. You are blessed not because of the circumstances you're facing in your life. You don't take an assessment of your life and say, how are my circumstances? Does that mean God is blessing me? He says, that's what the Pharisees would tell you, and that's what so many of the other religious leaders would tell you, and I'll tell you, friends, that's what every other religious worldview and ideology in our present world tells you. You assess whether you're blessed based on your circumstances. Jesus says, no, your circumstances do not determine your blessedness. Your blessedness is determined because the kingdom of God is at hand. God is bringing his kingdom to bear in this world. His reign, his rule is being brought to bear in this world. Think of the words of Psalm 96, how people yearn for this kingdom, this inbreaking of God's reign. Psalm 96, verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved, he will judge the people's with equity. That's what we long for, for the kingdom to break in. And what Jesus is announcing here is the invitation for ordinary people like you and me, regardless of our circumstances, to know that the king has flung wide open the doors of his kingdom. As the scholar Alfred Edersheim, who was a 19th century Jewish convert to Christianity who became an Anglican priest, he wrote this about these Beatitudes. He said, it is not because a man is poor in spirit that his is the kingdom of heaven in the sense that one state grows into the other as a result or a reward. No, it is in each case Christ himself as the king Flinging wide open the doors of his kingdom. See, there's a lost word in our Bibles after we moved away from the King James Versions. I like contemporary translations, but we, we lose some words, and one of those words is whosoever. It's a great gospel word which shows us the nature of the invitation of the kingdom. Whosoever. John 3:16, God so loved the world that He sent his only begotten son that all who, not all who, that's the new contemporary, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Romans 10 verse 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, the whosoever nature of the invitation of the kingdom is what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes. You are blessed regardless of your circumstances. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's available. It's open. It can be yours by faith. As Brennan Manning in the Rag and Muffin Gospel says, Jesus comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, and even used car salesmen. And more to the point, we see it most clearly with Jesus and the thief on the cross in Luke 23. When Jesus is asked by the thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's that word, kingdom. Remember me. The thief on the cross who says we are getting what we justly deserve. Worst circumstances you can imagine. And what does Jesus say to him? Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the invitation of the kingdom. This is the good news the church needs to remember so that we can share it with the world. But it's not just the good news of the kingdom as invitation, but it's also as an in-breaking kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is not static, but it's moving. It's not far off and impossible to reach. No, it's moving into your neighborhood and into your life and your home every minute more and more as we say yes to Jesus the kingdom breaking in. But this is where it gets hard, because look at verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 and 12 says, Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, the hard reality we need to face is that this kingdom... The rule of God coming to be brought to bear on this world in our lives as we seek to live according to the king and his kingdom. It's going to rub up against the world. It's going to create kingdoms and conflict. Let's be clear. What the kingdom is is not some kind of personalized, individualized, private experience with God. It is an invasion. An invasion of this world that you have been commissioned into to bring the kingdom to bear, to break into the world more and more as you live according to the king's way. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is, how to live the king's way in the king's world. This is why we need to reopen it as we reopen. See, in Acts chapter 5, the early disciples do something strange. They get hauled in front of the same council that tried Jesus. They get beat up, and they leave. And what do they say? They say they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And let's be clear. These are not nihilists. They're not looking to get beat up, okay? But they're making a theological point. We understand that because this kingdom that we're now invited into is so in contrast with the world we live in, we are going to be persecuted. They're just rejoicing in their citizenship in the kingdom. The persecution is evidence that they are in fact living God's kingdom in this world of conflict. As C.S. Lewis says, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature that needs a little bit of improvement. Fallen man is a rebel who needs to lay down his arms. That's the conflict that we experience as the kingdom breaks into this world. It's why in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when Jesus comes out with his kingdom proclamation, he uses a word at the front end. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, that's not just for the world, church. Let's remember that's about us. We are constantly being transformed. We are constantly falling into sin and having to repent and be called back. We need to repent as the kingdom is brought to bear more and more in our lives. When we see areas of our lives that are not kingdom-oriented, we repent, part of why Jesus draws us to worship around his table. It's a wide open invitation. He says, come. Come to my table. We've been longing to return to this table for 12 weeks. Come to the table. But he does give the warning as you come, just wait. The kingdom's going to be in breaking in your life as well with this invitation so there'll probably be some stuff you need to repent about as you come. That's, That's part of what Jesus is constantly doing in our lives. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This week we celebrated a commemoration of the martyrs of Uganda. It was in the late 19th century when British missionaries, Anglicans were bringing the gospel into Uganda and there was great resistance at first. There was a local set of local kings that resisted the gospel pretty aggressively, but the gospel went forward and there were converts. But on June the 3rd, 1885, King Mwanga had 32 young men killed because they were Christian converts and refused to recant their faith. And not many months later, the bishop missionary, Bishop Hannington, was also put to death by Mwanga. In Bishop Harrington's last words before he died, he said, "'Go tell Mwanga that I have purchased the missionary road to Uganda with my blood.'" And today, 84% of the Ugandan population are Christians. The blood of the persecuted martyrs grows the church. The early church understood, and we need to remember today, that as we step forward in faith with this good news, it's not always going to be received well. And as it is persecuted, as we are persecuted, we are not surprised... The call here is to rejoice and be glad because we are counted among those who have been brought into this kingdom. This is the good news. The kingdom is breaking into a world of injustice. God's rule is being brought to bear, but only as much as that kingdom is living and growing more and more in the church. See, the good news of the kingdom that our world needs to hear is this wide-open invitation. All may come, whomsoever but also needs to hear the in-breaking nature of this kingdom. It's changing things, it's rubbing up against the world, and it will cause persecution. But finally, the world needs to hear, and we need to remember, church, that the good news of the kingdom is that it's incarnate in one person. See, it's in a man. The kingdom's not an abstract concept or an idea or just some place we want to go to. No, the kingdom is, in fact, found in a person, Named Jesus Christ. As as Malcolm Muggeridge, the journalist uh, who was converted in his late 50s, wrote about Jesus, he says, Jesus' good news was that the kingdom of God had come and that he, Jesus, was the herald. More than that, in some special, mysterious way, he was the kingdom. See, this is the conviction that the crowds here in verse 1, the crowds, we're told, are following him. The conviction they had was not just they were captivated by the message, but they were captivated by the man. There was something about the message that was incarnate within this man. He was the message. He was the living incarnate kingdom of God's reign and rule among them, because he, we will find, out is the king. The King has come among us. As we say in the creed, for us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried on the third day, rose again. The King has come among us, as we say at Christmas. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as Eugene Peterson says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is what it means that the kingdom is incarnate. And that one by whom the kingdom is incarnate has told us not only that he's with us, but that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That before he ascends into heaven, what does he say at the end of this Gospel of Matthew? He says, Lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Because what we realize in this one who embodies the kingdom, is that in fact, he has become not just one who's among us, but he's become the one who has become us. He, in verse one, sits there with his disciples. Can you see the picture of Jesus sitting there? Sitting among his disciples. And that act of sitting is, yes, the posture of a teaching rabbi, but it's also a posture of the gospel. He comes and sits among us, not just to be with us, but to become us, to bear our sins, to bear our sins, our sorrows, to bear all the ways that we are poor in spirit, all the things we mourn, all of our meekness, all the things we hunger and thirst for for righteousness, all of the mercy that we long to live into, all of the pureness of heart that we wish we had, all of the peacemaking that we wish we had the courage to move into, all of the persecution that comes for standing in righteousness. He embodies it all. He becomes us, and he is the one who's been persecuted before us. He is the persecuted one. He is the one, as the king, who has borne everything wrong in you and me and the whole of creation in his own body as he dies for us. He, being rich, became poor for our sake, so that we, by his poverty, might be made rich. That's the exchange of the gospel. And as we come to this meal that we've been longing to return to for 12 long weeks, we come as a people who know that the King who is incarnate will meet us here because he promised he would. In a special way, Jesus is present to us in this meal gathering us, inviting us, in breaking his kingdom more into our lives and standing here as the incarnate one among us, with us, as us in our place. As Tim Keller says, Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. Jesus' kingdom is incarnate in his own person standing here among us, in our hospital rooms, on the streets, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. The King is with us now. Church, this is what the world needs to hear. This is what we need to remember. This is the good news of the kingdom. And as we've been going through this season, there's been a song that's been going through my head. It's been going through my head because... I think I figured out why it went eight times platinum in the late 60s, early 70s. Many people are comparing 1968 with today, seeing the parallels between the division within our nation. And in 1968, in the context of all that division and all that upheaval and all that violence and all that uncertainty, a man named Paul Simon wrote a song. And that song went eight times platinum. It just took off. It launched his career. But here's, I think, why it went eight times platinum. Because when the world hears good news, they flock to it, just like those crowds flock to Jesus. And these words in Paul Simon's song, though I don't know if he intended it or not, it's pure gospel. It went eight-time platinum because this is the gospel on display in that time. Because, interestingly, he stole at least half the lyrics from an African-American gospel singer called Claude Jetter. This is gospel. And this is the news that our world needs to hear. When you're weary Feeling small When tears are region, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and the crowds followed him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.
2: Please stand and let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God.
3: In peace, we pray to you, Lord God, for all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone, for this community, the nation, and the world, for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace, for the just and proper use of your creation for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression, for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, for those who care for the sick, the bereaved, and the unemployed, for the peace and the unity of the Church of God, for all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth, for folly our Archbishop, Todd our Bishop, Paul our Dean and Rector, and all our clergy and lay leaders for all who serve God in his church, for the special needs and concerns of this congregation. Hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.
0: Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to rise. The peace of the Lord be always with you. I invite you to share that peace physically with your family and without contact with the rest. invite you to be seated for a few quick announcements. I know some of these things feel strange, and yet isn't it good to be back together? The practice of birthdays and anniversaries. Well, we've got three months' worth to cover, don't we? So here's what we're going to do to keep this contactless, is if you have a birthday today or this week coming, or anywhere in the last 12 weeks, would you stand in your pews so we can pray the birthday blessing on you together? Our prayer for birthdays is printed in the bulletin. We pray together. Watch over your children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be. Comfort them, strengthen them when they stand. Comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful. Raise them up if they fall. And in their hearts, May your peace, which passes understanding, abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Obviously, it's been 12 weeks since I prayed that, since I can't keep it straight. Now, anniversaries. If you've had a wedding anniversary today or this coming week, or in the last 12 weeks, would you stand so we can pray God's blessing on your wedding anniversary? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, bless, preserve, and keep you. The Lord mercifully pour upon you all spiritual benediction and grace that you may faithfully live together in this life and in the age to come have life everlasting. Amen. Masks down, kiss your bride. <laughs> Congratulations. I invite you to be seated. Again, we're learning as we go. We're listening to the experts. We're watching what our brothers and sisters and other churches are doing. And so we'll be making adjustments and changes along the way. We encourage you all to be subscribed to our call newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday, where you'll see most of those changes. As well, you can find those on our website throughout the week. When we come now to communion and offering, you'll notice that we're not passing the offering plates. We have offering baskets at the front of each of our rows, and so you can bring up your offering as you come up to communion. Again, our offertory hymn is now a preparatory hymn. We're preparing to bring our gifts and preparing to come to the table. And as we come to the table, as some of you saw in the video with the instructions, we will be coming up, those of us who wish to receive communion, at standing stations. The clergy and the lay servers during the communion prayer will go behind the screen and will freshly sanitize their hands and put on gloves, and they'll still be wearing masks to make your communion moment as safe as possible. As well, after you've received from standing stations with the bread, you move to the communion wine station. And at the communion wine station, you will be handed an individual communion cup. You are to receive the communion cup by the base. With gloved hands, our communion service will hand it to you. You receive it by the base. When you've consumed, you place it in the empty tray. Now, for those of you who are Baptists, you're used to this idea of individual cups. We're just not passing them down the roads, rows. But you'll come forward and receive. And again, just as a reminder, this is still the unity of the sacrament, even though we are having individual cups, because Jesus stands among us, present in the sacrament in a special way. Uh, as you receive, just remember that you put out your hands to receive the bread, and again, you receive the cup from the base. Those who do not wish to receive are invited to remain in their pews, or if you wish, you can simply receive communion with one kind. But now let us prepare our hearts to come to the table. Let us come with penitence. Let us come remembering the great sacrifice that Jesus paid that we can celebrate this communion festival together. Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, forever and ever. All that is in heaven and earth is thine. All things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Amen. I invite you to rise to sing our preparatory hymn. Be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty, and our joy, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. I invite you to kneel as we continue in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself, and when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all, that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory, that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ... Took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after sup, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, and we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for us the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us all with your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Alleluia, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast, alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you And feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. come, beloved, all is ready. We pray together our post-communion prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Hear this word of benediction. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. After Deacon Tony has given the dismissal, we are encouraged to make our exits, beginning with the back rows. There are four exits in this building. Let us praise the Lord together with our closing hymn, How Firm a Foundation.
2: Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah.